Good morning, everyone. <laughs> welcome to Culpeper Baptist Church. Uh, it's great to see you all this morning. And welcome to everybody who's joining us on the live stream, um, joining in to worship with us. We're glad you're joining as well. Would you all stand with us? We're going to start out worship this morning with This Is Our God.
Thank you for singing that well as we come to this time of communion. And if you didn't pick up communion when you came in, if you just would raise your hand and our deacons will get that to you as quickly as we can. But as we think about our identity as we come to worship and we live in a world that seeks to define us in so many ways and in some ways we seek uh, their approval of our identity in so many ways, but but we come to worship to remind ourselves who we are. We, are. we are God's children, and together we are the body of Christ. And as we come and share in communion, I always want to remind us that, that right now, while we're in here worshiping, there are folks leading a time of worship in the memory care unit at the Culpeper. Uh, there are folks joining us online. A little bit later this morning, folks will join in the chapel at the Culpeper for a, a worship service and also at the Arbors. Uh, in a worship service. So we are together the body of Christ. And we come to the Lord's table not as individuals, but as his body to be his purpose and, and to fulfill his mission in the world. So with that in mind, would you join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you that we are your children that our identity has been set because we are created in your image. We have a relationship because of your son and that we found forgiveness and mercy and grace. And that Lord, your love overflows through our lives into the lives of others as we seek to fulfill your mission in this world. Lord, thank you for all the ways your presence in our lives gives us hope and identity and purpose. Lord, we do pray for uh, the expression of the body of Christ that happens through the work of this church uh, today. And we also pray for the expression of the body of Christ that happens all over this building today in the work of other churches and in the work of other churches in our community. And we pray that you would remind all of us that at the cross, there is unity. At the cross, we find meaning and purpose. And so we thank you for bringing us together today. We thank you for the experience we've had of your forgiveness and your grace. We thank you for your body broken for us and your blood shed for us. In your name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to open up the wafer side of the cup. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. And when he broke it, he gave thanks. He said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. Amen. Now if you'll open the juice side. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the blood of the new covenant. Whenever you eat this bread and whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
Amen. Our deacons are going to come by now and pick up your cups. Today is another one of our Welcome Back Sundays, and these are just so much fun to do, and I'm thrilled to have Alan Tolliver with us today, his wife Sarah, uh, their daughters Catherine and Taylor. Uh, what a unique opportunity for us this whole year to bring back people who were a part of this fellowship, who have gone out and done some pretty impressive things and are serving the Lord in some great ways. Alan is currently the executive pastor at Dunwoody Baptist Church, in Atlanta, Georgia, doing a great job there after he finished at McAfee School of Divinity as part of Mercer University. And uh, we're just thrilled that they made the trip up. Uh, two of the family are in Virginia, and we're glad for that. And uh, we, uh, we're, we're more than happy to share Virginia Baptist with the Baptist of Georgia from time to time. But we also want to bring them back at some point. And so, uh, Alan and Sarah, we're glad you're here. Thanks for taking the time to be here. And uh, after the band leads us in another song, Alan's going to come and preach to us. So this is a new song for us called Trust in God. You may have heard it already. Um, so if you do know it, please sing along. Um, and it's uh, fairly simple. Um, so as we play it, as you catch on to it, please sing along too.
can't tell you how strange it is to see my face on the screen behind me like that. Culpepper, I bring you greetings from Dunwoody Baptist Church in North Atlanta. It's the church that I currently serve, uh, a community of faith that is seeking the Lord. And every now and then I'll tell leaders of that church, you don't know it yet, but you're a Virginia Baptist church. I'm still working on that, and I'll, I'll keep you posted on that as we go. It is such a privilege to be here this morning, and I want to just uh, tell you a little bit about my family. Sarah was practicing at Culpeper Hospital for many years, and uh, she continues to to serve as a physical therapist. Taylor is graduating from engineering school uh, shortly, and Catherine is over at James Madison, which is why we're all together today, because we had a chance to come up for her birthday. And church, I'll tell you, visiting pastors, visiting preachers are supposed to say, it's good to be with you this morning. But I really mean that. I, we moved away 11 years ago from this church. Dan walked me around this morning, and I could not get over all of the changes. I, by my estimation, you've been in continuous construction for about a decade. And uh, it, wow, this, this church is looking beautiful and, and thriving. And um, it's been about nine years since we were with you in worship. And I, I really am grateful, Dan, for the opportunity to preach and be part of this. And I, I got to tell you, church, preaching in front of a mentor is a little intimidating, but we're going to do what we can this morning. In seminary, I had an opportunity to take a course called Baptist History. And imagine my surprise about three or four chapters into that textbook, I start seeing mentions of Mount Pony Baptist Church and John Leland and Culpeper Baptist Church. And I don't think I appreciated what a history this place had until I got to seminary and started reading some of the stories of Baptists in America and, and a pastor of this church telling James Madison, we'll stand for religious liberty or you won't get the Baptists to support you. Wow. Thank you for the warm welcome. And so many friendly faces, uh, Gary Parkinson and Earl Edwards. These little girls used to take naps in my base case when we were playing on the praise team together uh, in the evenings. Now, you remember that. Well, church, two weeks ago, I was halfway around the world and getting ready to preach in a tiny little Baptist church called Morning Star Baptist Church in a tropical rainforest in Africa. It was a little congregation that was in a tough season, and uh, the pastor had died during COVID, and when they heard that a mission team was coming from the United States, and there was a pastor on the team, they sort of insisted that I be part of the, uh, the worship service that morning. And so for the first time in quite a while, the, the church was, was cleaned and wiped down, and the cold choir was, was rounded up, and they led us in, in singing. And, and it really was a sweet time together, but, but I was actually in Africa for a different reason. My church, Dunwoody Baptist, has been involved in the problem of food security in Africa for quite some time. I know you all know about the war in Ukraine and, and all of that stuff, but it's disrupted global food supplies, and it's, it's affecting us a little bit here, but in Africa it affects them a great deal because that's where a lot of the food and fertilizer in Africa comes from. Uh, take fertilizer, for example. I mean, we've got some gardeners in the room, a couple of hands, yeah. You know what the price of fertilizer has done in the last couple of years. It's much, much worse over there. And so African farmers are using less fertilizer, which means they produce less food, which makes the problem get worse and worse and worse. It's a vicious cycle. 
And the guy that's leading the ministry over in Liberia is a classmate of mine from seminary. I know him. He stays at my house. I trust him implicitly. His name's Jesse Tobadoya. And on his last furlough visit to the United States, we're sitting there in my living room, and we got onto the topic of food security as a platform for ministry. Now, in Africa, there's two seasons, rainy season and dry season. Rainy season, it rains every single day, and you can grow anything. You can grow tomatoes on concrete in the rainy season. But in the dry season, you can't grow anything. The whole earth turns to powder, and it's like talcum powder. It hangs in the air. That's the topsoil, and, and it, it's clouds of dust, and I mean, it is bone dry for months. And about two years ago, God began to give me an image of how we might be able to minister to people using irrigation technology. Now, I'm a farm kid from Tappahannock, Virginia, just down the road, a ways down the road. But I grew up on a farm, and so I understand how to break ground, how to water, how to, how to irrigate, how to pump. And so God began to show me some ways that we might minister to this community in, in Liberia, Africa, with irrigation. And so about 18 months ago, I took a team from Dunwoody. We flew to Africa, and we set up two small prototype irrigation systems, solar-powered, a couple of panels, a pump, water source, and we started putting water on dry ground. And we were able to water a tenth of an acre on one plot, just as a pro, you know, like, can we do this? And we were able to get about a tenth of an acre, uh, tenth of an acre watered, and then we set up a second system, like, okay, can we do a little bit bigger one? And both of those worked. I mean, they, they actually did work. I mean, we learned some lessons, we made some mistakes, but we kind of worked out the kinks. And so two weeks ago, I took a team back to Africa, and we put in a solar-powered pump that pulled water from a creek, two acres uh, of richly fertilized soil, and I've got a couple of pictures that I want to show you. Hopefully, they'll uh, pop up here. Uh, I'll start with an aerial view of the property. So in that outline is about three acres. And we were really excited about the potential. You know, that's a big enough plot that'll, that'll create some jobs for people. And we worked out a system where everyone in this little village who works in the garden gets to share in the, uh, the profits and to take food home. The children have better nutrition there. Uh, and when they can't eat it, what they can't eat, they'll sell uh, whatever's excess. This is the dry season, uh, and vegetables are hard and expensive to come by. And so because of the project that we're doing, this village will have enough food for the next couple of months, and their, uh, their children will have better nutrition. And church, I'll tell you, when you minister to physical needs of a people, you have a powerful platform to talk about Jesus. Now, I know we've got some gardeners here. But I'd like to show you a, a drone video of the finished product. It'll, it'll run for about, I don't know, 20 seconds or something. Take a look. It's, uh, the drone is flying down the entryway to this farm that we set up. Church, how much food can you produce on that piece of ground for hungry people? And throughout that project, 
God showed up in some unbelievable ways. We had technical challenges with the pump, and we had a scare with one of our older team members, and I've learned some lessons about taking 80-year-olds to Africa. (laughs) And we had some other struggles, but God moved in some ways that only God could have. And, and this, was, this was kind of the big moment. When we rolled out that last little bit of this drip line irrigation, the skies opened up and it began to pour rain on a day when there was zero chance of precipitation. In the dry season in Africa when it's not supposed to rain and the sky just opened up and just poured on that piece of property. And, and, and as we left the farm that day because there wasn't any more work to be done, Everywhere else that we went was bone dry. It was like God was showing us that he was in control, that he had this, and that he would use this piece of property for his glory. And now these irrigation projects that my church has done has led to to new inquiries. There's new requests for mission teams to come to Liberia. That's a little hint, Dan. We'll talk about that later. In fact, our mission partner called me last week and said, hey, so uh, raging success do you think there's some other churches that might want to come and participate? And so, what a sweet, uh, sweet time. And I appreciate just a moment to share a little bit about that trip because it ties in with our morning text, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, church, we, we can agree that sometimes when people tell you stories about their mission trip or their vacation to Disney, it gets a little dull, you know, because the exciting moment or the funny thing that happened doesn't really connect. You weren't there. You didn't see it. Maybe sometimes when people are talking about mission trips, big God moments don't connect with you because, well, you didn't experience it yourself. And it's hard to get connected, uh, hard to get interested. But Culpeper Baptist, the reason I showed you these, these slides this morning, the reason I told this story and, uh, about a restart and hungry people that are going to have enough food is that this story that I just shared is your story. You see, 12 years ago, my family was heavily involved here at Dunwoody Baptist. I was serving as the chair of personnel. Sarah was on your leadership council. We were in Lachlan Lee's Sunday school class. Val Cooper, sitting here this morning, was in our small group. I was playing bass on the praise team. Sarah was playing keyboards. We were in a good season as a couple. We were in a good season as a family. And in the early morning hours of January in the year 2020, 12, I heard God's voice in the middle of the night saying, I need you in ministry. Go and be trained. In church, that was hard. As some of you remember Bruce Queen, our interim pastor here. I went to see him for some counsel. And then I met with Jerry Hutchinson, who also gave me some advice. He was our associate pastor. And then I broke bread with a gentleman named Lanny Horton that some of you know. And Lanny and I shared a meal and a couple of tears as we talked about what God was about to do to, uh, in our lives and with us and through us. This church was our place. We were happy and we were comfortable and settled here. And our children were in school and, and loved what they were doing. And we had a sense of fellowship and community here. And we ate pancakes at the Frost Diner. And we walked up and down Davis Street. And Sarah spent most of her pay- paycheck there. And 
We loved playing music on the praise team. That was one of the most refreshing parts of my week. And Taylor was in the soapbox derby, and we were starting on Catherine's car. And in the middle of that season, God said, I have other plans for your life. You see, church, what we couldn't see at the time is that God was using this place. He was using you for His purposes. And Culpeper Baptist, you gave us opportunities to teach and to lead and to develop our ministry gifts and practice them. And we sat under good teaching and we learned how to lead and worship. And we, we learned the messy but important process of committee work and what it's like to, to sit with the church through a tough season. And, and while Sarah and I were growing in our ministry gifts, you all were ministering to our children and you were taking, you were rocking babies in the nursery and you were leading children's ministry and you were volunteering at Vacation Bible School and you were helping with church events. And, and we got to do life together with you all for a season. Church, you nurtured and discipled and taught and encouraged and you walked alongside us as we prepared to leave. And 11 years ago, Right here about where Dan is seated, the church came forward, had us sit, and you laid hands on us, and you sent us out into a new season. You prayed over us, you blessed us, and then you commissioned us to go and seek God's will in a new place. And we knew it was authentic because we really did not want to go. And that year was hard. We all shed tears. Sarah was dealing with a, a really tough uh, medical situation. And for months, the girls would ask us after school every day if we could please just go home. But God was faithful, and he used that pain for, for good. And he used your equipping and your discipling and your investment and your training for his glory. And so this story about irrigation in Africa and dry ground and a little church that's trying to restart and a village that's going to have enough food next season, that's your story because it's got your fingerprints on it. Imprinted on my family while we were here, trained in seminary, refined over time, and sent to the nations. That work in Liberia is your work. And as we now turn to God's Word for the morning text, we're going to see how Scripture speaks to this very thing that I'm describing. On the screen, or you can follow along in your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'd invite you to follow along. As with many of his letters, Paul was responding to challenges within the church. And he wrote with a specific matter in mind as he wrote 2 Corinthians and probably some specific people in mind as he wrote. The time frame is about 55 AD. And the apostle was pretty upset with the church in Corinth. In addition to the normal challenges of church life, Paul was responding to false teaching and bad theology. And this, this letter to Corinth is as much a, a call to repentance as anything else. There was a warning to the folks that were acting up within the church and had been challenging his authority. You all have probably heard the words prison letters or general epistles to describe some of Paul's writings. I, just, I call 2 Corinthians the woodshed letter. Um, as a rebellious teenager, I'm something of an expert on the woodshed. And uh, that's the tone here. Paul is, Paul's had it with these people and he's going to get into it. 
There's a lot going on in that church. But one of the challenges in the text speaks to our interest this morning. You see, a group of people within the Corinthian church had been taken by the sin of pride. And here's what was going on. It was common in Paul's day to have a letter of introduction, you know, before modern communications. If you had a guest speaker, you wanted to know whether they were legitimate. You wanted to know whether they had uh, been properly credentialed or somebody had checked out their theology. And so these visiting preachers would collect letters of introduction. And the higher the rank of the person that wrote your letter, the more credentials you had. In other words, a letter from Paul was good. A letter from Peter was really good. A letter from James meant you were all right. And so nothing wrong with that. People would collect these letters and then they would take them with them as they, as they traveled and taught. And Paul wrote letters of commendation, letters, letters of recommendation himself. But in Corinth, it had gone too far. Some of the people had begun to collect these letters of recommendation for selfish purposes. And then in some circles, these letters became forms of leverage. In other words, first century Christians are using secular means to gain power within the church. And some things never change. And Paul was having none of it. So let's take a look at the text together. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 1. Paul writes, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Verse 1's got a little bit of sarcasm and a tiny bit of rhetoric in it, which tells you that Paul was really, really miffed with the church. The apostle is saying, no, guys, stop. You're, you're on the wrong things here. You don't need paperwork. You don't need documentation. What you need is Jesus. You don't need a letter signed by a famous apostle or a famous teacher. You need to serve with grace. You need to act with discernment. Help, help me, church. They will know we are Christians that's what Paul's trying to tell them. And, and the text continues in verse 2. You yourselves are our letters written on our hearts, recognized and read by everyone. Paul's saying, okay, guys, let, let me set you straight. The most important letter that you will ever carry anywhere is the one that's written on your heart. How you act is your introduction. The way you treat others is your reference. Your love should be your calling card. And, and then he continues in verse 3. It is clear that you are Christ's letter produced by us, not written with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on stone tablets, but on tablets that are hearts of flesh. He's saying, hey, hey, listen up. If you're the leader or the teacher, the servant or the administrator or the missionary or the helper or the co-laborer, if you are legitimately doing the things that God has called you to do, then it's going to be really, really obvious to everyone who's paying attention because what's written on your heart will be your most authentic expression. It'll be your most compelling introduction, and it'll be the best way that you can present yourself. And I would add my words, not Paul's, but when you're living into your unique design as a follower of Jesus, who you are and what you believe won't need a lot of explanation. And there's one other thing to see here in verse 3. Paul's drawing a contrast between letters written on ink, uh, in, in ink on paper, and letters etched into stone and letters written on human hearts. In mentioning stone tablets, Paul's talking about the Ten Commandments, and his point is that whether written on paper or written on stone, that words written down are rigid and lifeless. They're cold, they're inflexible. But when messages are written on human hearts, 
they are resilient and life-giving and they convey grace and they convey love. And then in verse 4, Paul offers some reassurance. We have this kind of confidence toward God through Christ. It's not that we're competent in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our competence is from God. And here we're meant to understand that our strength and our ability and our purpose and our calling, he uses the word competence, but all of that comes from God. And the text concludes with this last line, he has made us competent ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit produces life. In church, there's a collective and an individual aspect to all of this. What Paul's telling the church in Corinth and telling the modern readers, telling us today, is that you individually bear a message to the world written on your heart. At some point in the past, the Spirit got a hold of you, and something a mentor or a friend or a family member taught you about Jesus connected. And you made your own decision because some of those lessons began to stir in you. You made your own decision to follow the Lord, and at that point, you began to bear your own letter to the world written on your heart. And then I would tell you that as a church, collectively, you are writing new letters on the hearts of others. And I mean that in the present tense. It happens when you serve. It happens when you minister. It happens when you participate in one of the programs or you volunteer. Sometimes it happens when you move tables and chairs, which doesn't seem very helpful, but it matters. It happens when you're doing life together. But church, you grow when you do all of that for visitors. You offer attractive programs and events and activities and discipleship. You offer some sort of encouragement that draws people in. It happens when you do outreach and evangelism, and you're simply part of what's going on in the community of Culpeper. It happens when you offer something constructive in a difficult situation, and that attracts new people. Then they slowly plug in here, and then you begin to write new letters to the world on their hearts. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost ends of the earth. Jesus is talking about this exact thing. What makes a witness a witness? They bear testimony. And where does powerful testimony come from? It comes from the heart. Long before Paul was saying it to the church in Corinth, Jesus was talking about us being his witnesses. In other words, his living letters. Church, you are doing well, but your work is not done. Because there are new people, maybe visiting regularly, maybe checking you out online for the first time, watching your YouTube channel for the first time, and you have an opportunity to draw them in to the life and the experience of this church. And that'll give you an opportunity to write a few lines on their heart and maybe then send them onwards with your blessing. Culpepper, for 250 years, faithful people have answered the call to build and extend this community of faith. Throughout the American Revolution and the Civil War and two world wars and Korea and Vietnam and the wars of the 20th century, 
and recent struggles and social upheaval and change and cultural shifts in times of fat and in times of lean, this body of faith has continued the work, the work to disciple and to teach and to proclaim and to nurture and to baptize and to marry and to bury and to equip and then to release for service. All of that according to the will of the Spirit. So church, what would it look like if we held on to every visitor that crossed our doors, that we connected with every visitor who saw us online and decided to visit in person? What if each one of those became a new living letter that you wrote to the world? How would this community look then? Maybe that'll be your job this week. And Culpepper, I can't thank you enough for the opportunity to come, to speak. I'd like to think that we were part of your story for a couple of years. I think that we offered something of ourselves. But we got more than we gave here. To God be the glory. May you continue, church, to keep your hands on the plow, mindful of the past, attentive to the present, and looking ahead at the work that God has prepared for you in the future. God bless you. Pastor. Would you join me now in prayer? God, we thank you for your calling. We thank you for the privilege of being living letters. We thank you for the evidence of that in Alan's life. And we thank you for the evidence of that all over this room. And I pray that you will spur us on to continue to do the work that you've called us to do in this community and around your world that others might know who you are and your love and your grace. Lord, we thank you for the message this morning, for the encouragement it has been to us. And Lord, may it challenge us to continue to do the work that you've set aside for us to do. In your name we pray. Our band's going to lead us in singing the goodness of God, and, and as we uh, certainly celebrate the goodness of God in our church's history and our church's story, uh, I want you to be thinking about who are the people around you who, who need to experience the living letter that you are so that they might know Jesus as Savior and Lord. Keep those people in mind and in your heart as we sing together. Let's stand together and sing the goodness of God.
be seated and let me share some announcements with us today. Uh, first of all, we have new members, Paul and Beverly Vitting, who are sitting about three quarters of the way back on my left, uh, are joining our church today. Uh, they're joining by letter from Spring Hill Baptist Church in Rockersville, a church I have some familiarity with, so it's good to have them here. And uh, Beverly grew up in Culpeper, and they've kind of returned home too, so we're, we're trying to get a theme going here uh, at some point. Flowers today are given in loving memory of Marion Roberts by her daughters, uh, Kathy and Karen. Uh, you all remember Mrs. Roberts. She was our biggest softball fan, and we're grateful for the flowers this morning, and Kathy and Karen for providing those to us. Right after this service. Yes, yes hello. <laughs> right after the service is interest meeting for worship ministry. So that's uh, music and tech, so audiovisual. So if you're interested, come join us. Um, and also for current team members, because we're going to be just sharing a little bit, casting a little vision of where we're going. All right. And that's downstairs right after this service in the place that is also First Sunday Fellowship. So we'd love all of you to go downstairs. 
uh, and have some uh, food and get to know each other better. And those of you who are going to kind of get connected to our worship ministry, connect. And if you haven't been in our heritage room, you need to go down there and see that as well. This Wednesday night is another one of our first Wednesdays, uh, something for everybody. We hope you will come. It's homemade pizza. This is one of our favorite meals, so uh, let us know you're coming for dinner. And uh, we've started something called the Stronger Memory Program. And uh, so you adults, we'd love for you to come and be a part of that during the, uh, the program time of that as we talk about some ways we're impacting uh, folks in this community. You can start signing up for spring dinner groups today and next Sunday is the great time to sign up and then we'll get you out uh, into all of your groupings. Uh, this is one of the highlights of our year. We get to know each other more. Uh, there are sign-up sheets in the back or in the front and there are sign-up sheets downstairs during First Sunday Fellowship. This is also, hopefully you picked up one of these or were given one of these when you came in. Uh, Holy Week is at the end of this month. Uh, don't forget that. And this is a great opportunity to invite people uh, to church as we do a, a lot of things uh, during Holy Week. And I hope you'll take the opportunity to invite somebody uh, to join you. And then let me remind you, next Sunday is Spring Forward Sunday means you lose an hour of sleep Saturday night. Now you all remember what you committed to back in the fall when you got that extra hour and you had, there were so many of you here and you were so excited about being here and it's actually fun to preach to you all on Fallback Sunday. It hasn't been as much fun to preach to you all on Spring Forward Sunday. There's a lot fewer of you and uh, y'all look a little tired. So, so go ahead and get ready, start getting ready tomorrow so you can be here next Sunday uh, for Spring Forward Sunday, and we'll look forward to seeing you then. Let me pray for us. God, again, thank you for the joy that is ours in knowing you, for the story of this church and the great privilege we have to be a part of it during this time. Lord, help us uh, to go into your world as living letters reflecting your love. Lord, thank you for this time we've had here today. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week.